Christ our God, you are the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. You fulfilled the Father's entire plan for salvation. Fill our hearts with joy and gladness, always, now, and ever, into ages of ages. Amen. And that's just one of the many prayers that we say during the liturgy. Does anyone have any idea where that prayer is from? I didn't think so. <laughs> it's uh, one, of the, one of the silent prayers that the priest says. In this case, it's right before, at, after communion, right before the prayer that's said out loud in front of the icon of Christ. Right before that, during, Blessed is the name of the Lord. That's when the priest is saying that prayer. So, again, it's... Well, we'll, we'll go through that. We'll get there probably in a, a number of weeks. So... Um, <clears throat> When does liturgy begin? Lots of different times, guesses. Yeah. When does the preparation begin? Um, the night before. Yeah, so generally. Um, now, Vespers is not a preparation for the liturgy. Vespers is another service that is related to the liturgical day. But uh, the divine liturgy is actually outside of the liturgical day. It can be inserted generally. There are two places we insert it, which is um, after the morning orthros or um, after a, a Vespers, and then it's called a Vesper liturgy. Um, but the, the liturgy can be at any time. But the preparation for liturgy begins the night before. And that preparation is a preparation that all Orthodox Christians should be tar- partaking in. But it's something that I think is worth talking about a little bit. So I'm going to share this with you. This is called the service of preparation for communion. Here we go. For the peanut gallery too. Yeah. Thank you. Go. <laughs> so uh, before we descend into reading this, just uh, keep it closed for a second. Um, so on the front of this, it says the canon for the night preceding the liturgy. How many of you are familiar with? So a canon, first of all, is uh, any time that there are nine odes. And the nine odes are actually eight because there's never a second ode. But they're counted as one, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So um, uh, now that you know what a canon is, um, you may have seen these in services. They're throughout our services. Um, But how many of you have heard of the canon specifically relating to preparing for communion? Don't worry, you won't fail. Okay. So this is good. This is new stuff. Um, So... Uh, this canon, as it says in the italics, is the canon is said during the small compline following the Nicene Creed. Now, um, that does not mean that every time you prepare for liturgy, you must do the entire the entire small compline and this canon. What it means is, in the fullness of the practice, that's what it is. Okay, And so if this is at all new for you, I would highly recommend that you come and talk to me individually just about how should I wade into this. 
okay? Um, because it's more important that we prepare every single time for liturgy, for receiving the body and blood of Christ, than that we have this thing that is too heavy for us to do and we just kind of neglect it a bunch of times. Okay? So the night before... Uh, this canon is said, and it can be said just by itself if it's not in your prayer practice to say the small compline. Just say your evening prayers, and then you add this canon. Um, and uh, we won't read through the whole canon, but as you can read, we'll just read the first ode. How about that? May your sacred body and your precious blood, compassionate Lord, become for me the bread of eternal life and the guardian for manifold afflictions. Defiled as I am by disgusting deeds, O Christ, I am unworthy to receive your pure body and your divine blood, but make me worthy of this communion. Blessed Theotokos, the good earth that grew the unsown wheat that saved the world, make me worthy to eat of it and be saved. So we see just reading this that it is specific to the preparation for receiving the body and blood of Christ. Now this canon is in many prayer books, many prayer books. So if you have a prayer book at home, you can check it and see if it has it, and you can use it from that prayer book. That's fine. This is just a printout of that. There are some variations. <clears throat> there may be a, um, I don't remember the exact phrase, like, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, in between each of these. And then there also may be an additional stanza at the beginning. And that additional stanza is not actually needed for the canon. That's to help you chant it if you were to chant it. So, um, again, I'm describing things that you may have no idea about. So if it, if it goes past you in that respect, don't worry about it. But if you want to bring me your prayer book sometime and say, what is this, what should I say, all of that, feel free, by all means. But just know that this exists in most prayer books, most Orthodox prayer books. Um, because it's a part of our Orthodox Christian practice is to prepare for communion in this way. And don't worry if you're ignorant of this. Many are, so don't worry. Uh, now you're, you can begin to not be. I have plenty of these here. Um, well, plenty being a handful. So um, we can share as well. Uh, and these are definitely to take home, but if you already have a prayer book, or you already know about it, you already have this, feel free to leave it for another person to take. Um, so this canon is said the night before, and this proceeds on to the second and the third page. If you can open up now, the second and third page is not in the little red prayer book, Moses. It's not in that one, but many others. So again, you can bring the prayer books to me and we can talk about it. Okay, so the second and third page, and then we get through the ninth ode, okay? At the bottom it says, Then continue with the small compline service at It is truly right to bless you. So this is sort of the, the, forgive the word, the generic insertion point in a small compline. You can insert all kinds of things in here. Uh, the, the canon of the paraclysis, the akathist hymns, or the salutations, another akathist. So if saying the small compline is a part of your evening routine of, of prayers, that's the place to insert anything, is right after the creed. So this is just saying what is already the fact with a small compline, okay? So enough about that. So we'll turn to the fourth page where it says prayers on the morning of the liturgy. Okay? 
And this is the common practice. It doesn't have to be this way. If you want to say all these together in the morning, that can be accommodated. Or certainly if we have like an evening liturgy, like a pre-sanctified liturgy, perhaps you say these during that same day. But this is just sort of the common practice. So prayers in the morning of the liturgy. Uh, it says commence with the Trisagion prayers or your normal morning prayers. And then the following. And what we have next is three psalms. Uh, Psalm 22, 23, that I'm sure all of you know, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, and then this Psalm 23, 24, um, this is uh, talking about who shall stand in his holy place, where we're all about to go to when we're preparing for liturgy. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to what is false, nor sworn deceitfully to his neighbor, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And then in Psalm 115, we hear things even more clearly. It says, I will take up the cup of salvation, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And that's what we are doing. That's also a communion hymn that you may know of, uh, commonly sung when we're receiving communion. And then after that, we have um, a couple of, of small verses. And then we turn the page and we get to the, the, the meat of it, if you will. First prayer of St. Basil. And if you flip through, you'll see that there are ten prayers. And let's look at the tenth prayer. I believe and confess, Lord, that you are truly the Christ, the Son of the living God. Does that sound familiar? So when you are saying that prayer in the liturgy, so um, to, to be clear about that, that's a recent practice that has arisen in the churches. Priests have realized that the people are not preparing properly for communion, and so this prayer, which was only a prayer that the priests would be saying in the altar, was brought out for all the people to say. But there still is the presumption that that's the tail end of all of the other preparation. So, but when the people don't know this, then they don't know this. So now we're beginning to learn this. So that prayer is actually the very end of all the preparations that we've done. So that tenth prayer you wouldn't necessarily need to say at home if we say it in the church together. Um, but let's, let's read one of these prayers to get a taste for this. We'll turn to the third prayer from St. John Chrysostom. Lord my God, I know that I am not worthy nor sufficient that you should come under the roof of the house of my soul, for it is entirely desolate and in ruins. You do not have a worthy place in me to lay your head. What does it sound like he is alluding to? Oops. Uh, what? Well, uh, you do not have a worthy place in me to lay your head. Away in a manger. It's alluding to the, uh, the, the cave of our Lord's birth. But as you humbled yourself from on high for our sake, do likewise also for my unworthiness. And as you willed to lie in a cave, in the cave to lie in a manger of dumb animals, take it upon yourself now to enter the manger of my dumb soul and my, into my soiled body. And, and dumb in this context means mute. So. And as you did not refuse to enter and eat with sinners in the house of Simon the leper, so also deign to enter into the house of my soul, leper and sinner that I am. And as you did not cast out the harlot, a sinner like me who came and touched you, so have compassion on me, the sinner who now comes to touch you. 
And as you do not abhor the kiss of her sinful and unclean mouth, do not abhor my mouth more stained and unclean than hers, nor my sordid and unclean and shameless lips, nor my more unclean tongue. But let the fiery coal of your most pure body and your most precious blood bring sanctification, illumination, and strengthening of my lowly soul and body, relief of the burden of my many transgressions, protection against every operation of the devil, and averting and hindering of my mean and evil habits, mortification of my passions, fulfillment of your commandments, and increase of your divine grace and inheritance of your kingdom. For it is not with a light heart, Christ my God, that I venture to approach you, but I trust in your ineffable goodness. May I not become prey to Satan by abstaining for long from your communion. Therefore, Lord, I pray to you who alone are holy that you sanctify my soul and body, my heart and my mind, and renewing me holy and plant in my members fear of you. Do not let your sanctification be taken from me, but be my help and protector, governing my life in peace. Make me worthy to obtain a place at your right hand with your saints through the prayers and supplications of your most pure mother, of your bodiless ministers and pure angelic powers, and of all your saints who from the ages have found favor in you. Amen. So this gives a good introduction to the the themes within these prayers. And these prayers, uh, they draw on many biblical examples and make parallels, like this talked about Simon the leper and how I am leprous, and uh, the unclean woman and my unclean mouth receiving the body and blood of Christ. Another theme that you'll see in here is this um, contrast between my unworthiness and yet God's great mercy. And so we would never say that we're worthy to receive the body and blood of Christ, but rather that it is by God alone that we become worthy. Much like salvation. We never earn salvation. It is a gift from God. We prepare and we strive towards preparing for communion, but we could never say, oh, I've done my prayers, now I'm worthy to receive. Of course not. As we read these prayers, that becomes abundantly clear. But um, this is uh, an important aspect of our spiritual life, is knowing how sinful we are, and yet how great God's mercy and love are. Because where does that put us? That puts us in a place of repentance and humility, which are the building blocks of the spiritual life. Any questions about this so far? Anything? Okay. Um, And uh, we have more of these uh, for those who are coming on the chair there. Okay. Maybe share with the people way back. Um, So uh, I will give some general advice for those who have never done the prayers of preparation for communion. Step into it small steps. Okay. So maybe the night before you say a couple of the odes of the canon. And maybe on the next day you say one of the psalms and a couple of the prayers. At some point read through all the prayers and have a sense of what all the prayers are saying. But don't go home with this and say, okay, I'm going to say this whole canon the night before and I'm going to say all these prayers the next morning. Because what's going to happen? The devil's going to come in and he's going to cause you to stumble. But if you build it up in a slow and a humble way, then you can get to that point where you are saying the full preparation every time you're receiving communion. Every time. Because what we have to recognize is the effectiveness of communion is also dependent upon our own spiritual state. So the effectiveness meaning how it affects my body. Is it still the body and blood of Christ and fully capable of all miracles? Yes. 
but how it affects my body and my life is very much dependent upon how much I prepare to receive it. And also preparation is the life of repentance, of regular prayer and fasting, all of these other things as well. Um, but this is the act, these are the, the prayers that we would say in preparation. So any final questions about that? And then I'll move on from there. Okay, and, and if we don't have enough copies of this, it's on my computer. I can print out as many copies as we want. Take it home. Um, if you have a prayer book that has it in it, you can use that as well. And if you're not sure, you can bring your prayer book in and I can help you see what it says. Okay? Good. Okay. So we'll move on from there. So that is the way, this is the way that every single person who receives the body and blood of Christ prepares. Now we'll talk about how the priest prepares specifically for the priest's role in the liturgy. And when does that preparation begin? Huh? Anyone? The night before. The priest is doing this as well, yes. But what's the specific preparation of the priest? When does that begin? Not the night before. Yeah. Before Orthros. Now, um, I'll explain how it is or isn't related to Orthros. But yes, the priest preparation begin in the morning. The other thing that all Orthodox Christians do, unless they receive a, a blessing to do otherwise, is completely abstain from all food and drink um, from the time of going to bed until the receiving of the body and blood of Christ. So... Um, and uh, so a, a priest, the preparations specific to the priest are preparations called generally the proskomidi. And I'm going to write that word. It's a Greek word. The stress is there at the end, which is always awkward for us English speakers. Proskomidi. Um, and the proskomidi uh, is uh, three services brought together. And those three services must be done for a priest to celebrate the liturgy. Orthros is not required for a liturgy, as you know, because we do these, these Lenten services where we don't have an Orthros. Because, again, Orthros is part of the normal daily cycle. We can always do an Orthros with or without liturgy, and we can always insert a liturgy with or without Orthros. Um, but typically those two come together, as is the common practice, but not always. So the proskomidi happens um, generally during Orthros and a little bit before Orthros. But remember, this is... So I'll uh, put Orthros over here. So proskomidi is related to liturgy. And because we have an Orthros, we'll put that in right here. And it'll happen partly during this, but this will be partly before. They're not related, even though on outward appearance they look related because they're happening kind of concurrently. Okay, so the proskomidi has three parts. I'm going to use a darker pen that's hopefully less squeaky. Okay. Just want to make sure we're awake. Yeah, exactly. I can't scratch my nails on this board. Okay. Keros, Okay. So it's called proskomidi, but actually proskomidi is the third part of it. First is keros. Keros, we learned a little bit about that from Dr. Petitsis when he talked about 
uh, gifted time. So Keros is the, the name for the service that the, the clergy do on the Solea before Orthros. So how many of you have ever seen Keros? Bravo, bravo. That means you're coming early. Um, so uh, Keros occurs before, uh, typically before Orthros, or like when we do just the, the uh, communion prayers, the liturgy with the communion prayers, we'll, um, we will um, do the, the Keros before that begins. And actually, I forgot to mention this. So when we have the liturgy with communion prayers, that means they're saying exactly what I just talked about. So by participating in that service, coming right at the beginning at 6.30, you are preparing for communion. So you don't need to do the prayers separate on your own. You can for your own benefit. But I do because I'm not listening to those prayers. I'm preparing the proscomedy. But uh, it's, you can do either that. You can come at 6.30 and hear those prayers, or you can come at 7 o'clock for the liturgy if you're preparing on your own. Those are the same prayers that we just talked about. Um, and they're all done together, the ones that are the night before and the morning. So Proscomedi has three parts. The Keros is taken, takes place on the Solea. The Solea is um, the, the tile area in the front. It's, that's the name for the area in front of the iconostasis is uh, the uh, Solea. And that prayer service um, is a brief prayer service where we ask for the intercessions of all the saints that are on the iconostas. We say a couple of other prayers, but it's a, it's a fairly brief service. Um, at the end, uh, there's a prayer that, uh, where we ask to be worthy to stand before, uh, stand before the altar and serve. So, The next is the vesting prayers, and this is probably the most obvious of these three words. This is when we vest, when we put on our, our liturgical vestments. And every single piece of the vestments has a prayer with it. So um, we first put on what's called, I won't write all these words on here, but I'll just throw them out there a little bit. We put on a stichadium, and that's the white, generally white robe that is the, the under robe for all the rest of the vestments. Uh, the stichadium uh, is the same as the baptismal garment. So um, if you've ever seen an adult baptism, uh, at this parish it's nice. We actually have robes that people can wear on top of their, uh, their clothing. It's the same idea. This is our baptismal garment. And um, so there's the stichadion, and then after that is what's called the epitrachilion. And these words, they sound complex, but epitrachilion, where's your trachea? Epi means around. So it's called the around the neck thing. Epitrachilion, yeah. And the theme will continue. Um, and then uh, next we put on the epigonation. These are your gonat. Gonation. Uh, uh, actually, I don't remember how to say that exactly. What? Gonata. There we go. Gonata. So it's the by the knee thing, and that's the diamond that hangs down. Um, and then we put on the epimanikia. These are your, your hands, the by the hands thing. So uh, those are the cuffs that go on. And then we put on the, the zoni, which is a, a Greek for belt. And that's the piece that goes around here. And then later on, uh, we'll put on the philonion, which goes on top. And that's the cape, the chasuble, if you know that word in the Western practice. So those are all the pieces. And every single piece has a prayer with it. And the priest blesses the, the garment, kisses it, and then puts it on. 
And then after all of that is done, then the final part of the vesting is the washing of the hands. And there's a prayer with that as well from one of the Psalms. Maybe around Psalm 120 or so. I don't remember exactly where. but um, So that, uh, that concludes the vesting prayer. So now the priest is, and the deacon as well are taking part in all of this as well. They're uh, preparing on the solera. They're vesting back in the vestry, washing the hands. And then we have the, the uh, largest of these three services, and that's why all three go by this name. The proscomidi is the preparation of the gifts. Uh, so this is how we come to have the chalice with wine and what's called the paten, the raised plate, with all of the pieces there, including what will become the body of Christ. So, um, so I'll spend more time on that right now. Any questions so far? Okay. Yes. We take care of. Yeah. We just. That's coming from the Greek. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes in Greek you say take, when in English you wouldn't really say that. So it's just kind of a taking, borrowing it from the Greek. Yeah. Yeah, the clergy will say, let's take care of now. Yeah. yeah. Any other questions? Okay. So I will draw for you the pattern. The chalice is pretty straightforward. But the pattern is actually first I will draw we'll do two round things, okay? So this is the loaf, which is called the prosphora. Anyone know why it's called prosphora, besides Greek speakers? Prosphora. Anyone who knows a little bit of Greek. Okay, how about a Greek speakers? Prosphora. An offering, yeah. So it's an offering. Okay, fero means to bring, to carry, and pros in this context means like forward. So most of our word, liturgical words are just very practical, descriptive words. So in this case, it's the bread that's brought forward. So, and after, it's the same bread, but it's called something else. It's called anidron. And I'll tell you about that in many weeks when we're finished with the liturgy. Okay, so this is what the seal on the prosphoron is one. I'll write that up here. Uh, you can do PH or with an F. So prosphora is how you usually hear it because that's plural. It would be an O-N instead if it was singular. Okay. So on each of these sides, and in the center, it says... that, And that's repeated on the bottom and on the top. Okay. I'm sure most of you have seen a symbol like this, like in the, uh, the sand and the narthex. So we'll say this together. Ready? Jesus Christos Nika. So the stress is always at the end on that phrase. Jesus Christos Nika. So what this is, is... Um, okay, I'll write it with caps. Uh, uh, okay. So Jesus 
I think I spelled that right, forgive me. But um, what you'll see here is you see this I-C-X-C-N-I-K-A. And Jesus begins um, uh, with a iota and ends with a sigma. And in uh, orthographic style within many of our icons, the sigma becomes like a C. Okay? So what this is saying is it's the first and last letters of Jesus, and this is the first and last letters of Christos. You hear that sigma at the end, which again looks like a C. That's just an orthographic style. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So I knew I had that wrong. So there we go. Okay. So um, then, uh, so what this is saying is Jesus Christ and Nikau, because we live across the street from Nike, we all know what that means. So yeah, uh, Nike or Niki means victory. And Nika means victor, the one who has victory. So, um, oh, actually, no, I'm sorry. This says Jesus Christ conquers. Forgive me. So, um, so that's what it's saying in the center, and then it says the same thing here, and then on the top as well. Okay. So this center portion, I'll put a second box around it, is what becomes what we call the Lamb. Because from the Old Testament, that Lamb that was offered in Exodus, and Christ is the fulfillment of that. He is the spotless Lamb that is offered. And so this is uh, called the Lamb, just like Christ is often called the the Lamb that is offered. And um, then on these two sides, I'll draw it roughly because I'm not... It's about like that. On the left side, there's one large triangle. And on the right side, there are nine small triangles. And um, this becomes the piece that we cut out and place on the paten, which is for the Panagia, for the Theotokos. And these are the nine orders of saints or holy ones more properly because it includes archangels and prophets. So all of those who are, are holy. Um, and they're, they're, So the nine orders. Okay? Or it's, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Not quite nine orders. So the first thing that happens is this centerpiece is cut out. And with every cut, there's a prayer. Um, before, before this, the priest holds up the, the uh, prosphoron and says a prayer, and then places it down, and then uh, three times makes the sign of the cross with the the lance. The lance is this tool. If you've ever seen it, it looks roughly like that. Okay, and this is a double-sided blade. And so, so the lance then is uh, is used for most of this. Sometimes we'll use a knife, but um, the, with the lance, three times he says, "In the name of the, uh, in remembrance of our Lord and God and Savior Jesus Christ." In remembrance of our Lord and God and Savior Jesus Christ. And then next, uh, the first cut is right here on his right side. I'm sorry, over here on his right side, because this is Christ. You see? So the first cut is on the right side. As a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. As a blameless lamb, dumb before his shearers, he opens not his mouth. Um, 
In his humility, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? There's a quote from Psalms as well. So each of those cuts has that verse said. And then this piece, for his life was lifted up. This is directly from the Psalms. And so then that's the point at which we take the lamb out. For his life was lifted up. And then what happens is, so this piece is a cube. Sometimes it's a, a, a trapezoidal pyramid because if we have lots of people, like at this parish, we need to make it a little bit larger because the top of the seal can only be this big. But we might need more in the, the chalices, so we might make it more like, if you look at it from an angle like this, and there's the seal on the top. Okay. So then this is flipped over, and uh, it's cut crosswise. So... Um, it would be cut all the way up here and then crosswise all the way up this way as well. So it's cut this way and then this way. So Does that make sense? The top is unbroken, correct? Yeah. And that's because at the right before you receive communion is the fracture when we take it apart into four pieces. So it's cut directly along these lines, but it's cut from the bottom up and doesn't go all the way through. And with this, the first cut was the prayer sacrifices the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world for the life and the salvation of the world. And then the next side, by your crucifixion, tyranny was abolished and the power of the enemy was trampled upon, for it was neither an angel nor man, but God himself who saved us. Very profound prayers, each of these. And then the, it's turned back over and it's placed onto the pattern here. So this is the plate. And it has a little rim on it. And this, we'll just make it a, a cube this time. Sometimes it's larger than that. So this is the first thing placed onto the pattern. Okay. And then what happens next is Christ is pierced. So we take the lance and we pierce him on his right side. So that's over here. And we say the prayer, One of the soldiers pierced your side. And immediately there came out blood and water. And at that time, when we say blood, we pour the wine into the chalice. Or into the two chalices. Or three, or however many, depending on the service. And blood and water, and then a little bit of water is placed into the chalice. And then the prayer continues, and he who saw it has borne witness, and his testimony is true. So that refers to the centurion who saw the blood and the water coming out. And then the priest blesses the gifts. He says, blesses the union of your gifts, because now we have the bread and the wine together for the first time. Any questions so far? Okay. The bread is an offering, so it is brought forward, and it's brought forward from parishioners. So if you're interested in learning how to make prosphora, uh, we have a number of bakers I see around the room here. Bakers, raise your hand. How about that? Anyone who bakes prosphora, raise your hand. Yeah? You've done it before? Yeah? Okay. So we have a longer list than that of people who are offering them. If you'd like to learn, then those would be the people to talk to and learn from them. Um, and it's done prayerfully, um, and it's done with uh, just the basic ingredients. Um, and so that's that. Did I answer that well enough? Yeah, okay. So then next is the piece for the Panagia. So this is cut out, 
And as the priest is cutting this out, he says, In remembrance of our Lord, of uh, our most holy Theotokos, the ever Virgin Mary, through whose intercessions, accept this sacrifice upon your heavenly altar. And then that piece is taken out. And then as it's placed here, it says, The queen stood at your right hand, clothed with a garment, wrought with gold, and arrayed in diverse colors. So there she is at the right hand of Christ. His right hand. And then uh, after that, we then do the commemorations for the, the orders of saints. So the first is for the archangels and all angels. And then the next one is uh, for the prophets and all of the Old Testament, uh, Daniel, the three holy youths, Moses and Aaron. And a, no- a number of them are mentioned, but not nearly all of them. Just sort of some of the, the highest ranking, if you will. Next are the uh, apostles. For Peter and Paul, for the Twelve and the Seventy and all the Holy Apostles. The next is for the Hierarchs. For our fathers among the saints, the universal great teachers and Hierarchs, Basil the Great, Gregory the Theologian, and John Chrysostom. For Athanasius of Athos. For um, Cyril of Alexandria, for St. Nicholas of Myra, and all the Holy Hierarchs. Then the next is for Martyrs. For uh, proto-martyr and archdeacon Stephen, for the holy glorious great martyrs George the Victorious, Demetrius the Murflowing, Theodore the Recruit, Theodore the Commander, and all the holy martyrs. Then the next is for the ascetic saints. Venerable and God-bearing fathers, Anthony the Great, Ephthemios, Paisios, Savas, Oniphoros, Athanasius of Athos, Dionysius of Olympos, and of all those who throughout the ages have excelled in asceticism. Then the next is for um, uh, wonder workers, for the holy wonder working and mercenaries, Cosmas and Damian, Kiros and John, Pantalemon, Omelaos, and of all the holy un- uh, uh, unmercenaries. Unmercenary means one who, who does uh, work without pay. And then the next here is for, um, uh, for the ancestors of God, Joachim and Anna, for Joseph the betrothed, for Simeon the God-bearer, so all of those who are around Christ's family or in Christ's family, if you will. Um, and then also on this piece we commemorate the saint of the day. So in this case we've already commemorated the saint of the day, Saint Anna. And then the final piece is for whoever composed the liturgy. So most of the time it's St. John Chrysostom. During Lent it's St. Basil. Also coming up in the Christmas season on the eve of Christmas and the eve of Theophany we'll do the liturgy of St. Basil. And on St. Basil's feast day, January 1st. So so uh, these then are placed here. And... uh, in some practices, it's the whole piece together with all the, the nine triangles. I won't draw them all right now. And in other practices, they actually cut out every single triangle. So, But either way, when, when those commemorations are made, the priest has the lance and is pointing at that piece as he's saying those commemorations. Any questions? Yeah. So these then end up here. So, what are we composing here on this plate? What is it? What are we seeing start to form? Not in terms of shape, in terms of who? The church. The church. So who are we missing from the church? Us. Yep. And the us before us. So the the final part of the preparation is for the living and the departed. And this is where we commemorate names. 
And again, these are only names of baptized and or chrismated Orthodox Christians. Um, and so uh, in some practices, it's just sort of one pile, but in, in the way that I was taught in a lot of practices, is two piles. I shouldn't say that, but we take um, this piece right here and cut it out and take it out. And then holding this piece and with the tip of the lance, we're taking off tiny little crumbs. And as we take off those crumbs, we're commemorating names. So uh, this is a, a longer process within all of this, is that we'll com continue commemorating names of the living, and then we'll commemorate the names of those who are departed. Among those, we, we uh, mention our own hierarchy as the first of those of the living. So Metropolitan Radosimus. Yeah. One minute. One minute? Oh, oh yes, okay. One minute, thank you. That's perfect, because we're almost finished with the proscomidi. So um, once these are completed, and this is typically being done during orthros, if there is an orthros. Um, and then at different times, the, the priest will step away to say some part of the orthros and then step back over to this. This is all done at the side table on the left, if you're looking at the altar. Um, and that table is called the prothesis. So that's the table where this is then prepared. Um, this is pretty much the conclusion. There's, there's um, oh, and then actually the, the one other significant part is after all of this, we then do the covering. And that's when we place those cloths on top. There's a cloth for the paten, there's a cloth for the chalice, and then there's a, oh, I'm sorry, before the, the paten gets a cloth, it receives uh, what's called a star, astari, and it's just Greek for star. And that's a, a four-sided uh, thing that sits on there. And that way, when you put the cloth over, it doesn't lay on top of these pieces here. So it's just to protect them. So that's placed on, and there's a little prayer that is in reference to the star of Bethlehem. Yeah. Does all that go into the chalice? Yeah, we can, I'll answer that actually, but uh, let me finish this. So that's placed on the stars. Each of them are, are brought before the incense. So we bring the censer over at this time. The star is sensed and then put on top. The first cloth is sensed, put on top. The next cloth for the chalice is put on top. And then there's the large cloth that goes over all of it. And that's the cloth that during the great procession, Deacon is wearing on his shoulders. And then is placed on top of the gifts once we finish the great procession. So sitting on the side table, when this is completed, it will be completely covered. And then there's a concluding prayer and then a little dismissal. Um, and uh, so you asked, does all of this go into the chalice? So... Yes, it all eventually does. The, the faithful only receive the body of Christ with the blood because it's intermingled. But these pieces, they'll either go in... Uh, this is sort of a logistical thing. If it's a small service with fewer people, they'll all go in together. This will all be cleaned off beforehand. But still, the faithful will only receive from this portion. If it's a Sunday where you have so many people receiving, it would be really hard in the chalice to differentiate, oh, is it from these pieces or is it from this? So for that reason, on Sundays, we only put the lamb, the body of Christ, into the chalice, broken into the two halves or put into the two chalices. 
So, and then afterwards, then uh, this is cleaned off. That's what I do as soon as I come back in after everyone receives communion, is I'm uh, cleaning off these pieces. There's a sponge, uh, like a natural sponge, the animal, that's uh, uh, dried up and placed into the cloth that I have the, the uh, sacrament upon. And so I use that, cl- that sponge to wipe all of this off into the chalice. So eventually it does all go in there, and then it's consumed at the end. So, yeah. By the priest and the deacon, yeah. yeah. So I think we've hit the end, and that's the, the finishing of the, uh, the proscomedia. So if you would rise, we'll offer a prayer. Christ our God, through the prayers of your holy grandmother, the righteous Anna, on this day of her feast, have mercy upon us and save us. Amen.